Uh, every Sunday we have a lot of visitors, and so it's good for me to get you up to speed. I was out of the pulpit uh, last, last week. Uh, so we come back to our study on Genesis. Uh, let me tell you why we're studying Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, the reason is that we are looking at the significance of the order of things. The idea of Genesis is like a seed, and everything is coming out of the seed. Uh, and we said that every worldview, no matter where you are this morning, whether you're Christian or non-Christian or a Buddhist or a Muslim or whatever you may be, there's four questions that you have to answer. Uh, origin, where did I come from? Meaning, why am I here? Right? Why am I here? Uh, morality, why should I do or not do something? Should I give my money away? Should I not? Should I steal? Should I not? And then ultimately, destiny. And nobody knows the answer to that uh, here uh, in and of yourself because you've never been there. But we believe that the scriptures answer all these questions. But it answers them practically. And uh, Christianity, if it's not practiced, then it means nothing. It's just a thing there. And so if you're visiting today, we're looking uh, at, at the scriptures, and especially our text today, especially when it comes to order in our marriages. The God has created us male and female in His image. And we live in a culture that no longer believes in an order, but a culture that believes in everything's equal and the same. And so we're moving away from distinctions in how I operate as a man or how I operate as a woman. And what, now we're, we're kind of into the everybody needs to just accept whatever anybody else believes because any idea is as valid as any other idea. Now, do you understand how ludicrous that is, even if you're not a Christian? So, let's uh, turn to our text. And I'd like for you to, for a moment, if you don't believe the Scriptures, I'd like for you to pretend that maybe this is God's Word and that what we have here is not poetry. We have some poetry we'll talk about. But what we have here are prose. What we have here is true history. Do not believe that it has all kinds of implications in your life, in your marriage. Uh, let's read from God's Word, Genesis 2. We believe this is the holy and errant Word of God. So the Lord God took the man and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. And I'll make a helper fit for him, or suitable for him, or corresponding to him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock of the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a helper fit for him. And so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of the rib, of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The first wedding. And the man said, 
This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave, grip hold to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Let's pray together. Father, there's probably four or five hundred people here today, and it's always interesting to me how everyone is hearing something. Uh, but Father, uh, we not only need your word <clears throat> as an anchor, but we need you to help us interpret, to understand. Father, I don't have that ability to do that because I'm a sinner, and I bring my sins to understanding a text, uh, sometimes rightly, sometimes probably wrongly. But Father, that does not take away from the fact that your word is true, is trustworthy. To remember that the first sin it was, was the question, has God really said? Father, I do pray for our marriages. I pray that husbands would be husbands and wives would be wives, that we would reflect the gospel. That we would understand that we were created in your image and that we are to reign together as husband and wife. Equal, vice regents, but very different in a glorious way. Father, save me from any stereotypes. For Lord, your view of man and your view of woman is the proper view and is powerful. We ask that you would speak to us and help us understand ultimately the gospel in this text. And we ask it in your name. Amen. If you're going to understand the Bible and how it fits together, and you need to, uh, then you need to understand the significance of this text. Let me tell you why. Because in Genesis 2, actually you have two covenants. You have the covenant God makes with Adam. Very serious covenant of life and death, and we'll see that in a moment. But he also uh, has Adam and Eve to make a covenant with each other. God is their witness. Now, <clears throat> this marriage in chapter 2 is pointing to a marriage that we find in the last chapter, Genesis. Uh, that marriage is uh, a, a picture of Christ's love for his church. We read that in the New Testament, that reading. It's a great mystery that's there. And uh, just kind of look at marriage uh, and... Uh, and not see the mystery. It's not for you as a wife to appreciate the magnitude of what it means for a man to be a husband. Or for you who are men to look at your wife and, and, and not see a woman created in the glory of God who's fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, this great mystery that's there. But just as there will be order in heaven, you understand that? When, when all the dead are raised... And if you're in Jesus Christ, you'll be raised. You're in him. You're married to him. He's remained faithful to you. And you have these new bodies. And we'll be united to Christ and to one another. And let me tell you, whether you believe this or not, there will be order in heaven. 
God Almighty will reign. Jesus Christ, Son of God, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess it. Jesus Christ is Lord. And there will be absolute perfection in heaven. And what that means is that when we're in heaven, I'll no longer be a husband. I'll be a bride. In fact, one of the things that's helped me understand what it means in many ways to be a woman is the fact that I am presently a bride. That I'm, I have been given a new name and a new life. And uh, the more I believe that he is good and gracious, the more I've learned over the years to submit myself as the bride of Christ and give my body to him and not to other things. So God has instituted marriage from the very beginning. And therefore, let me say this, that marriage and family is the foundation of every institution. To strike at the family is to strike at every institution. Uh, James Boyce, who was a pastor at 10th Press, who wrote a wonderful commentary on, on, on Genesis, passed away recently. Listen to what he says. I, I think it's so true about this. Uh, long before there, was gover- there were governments or churches or schools or any social structures, God established a home based on the mutual respect of love of a husband and wife. And all other human institutions come from this relationship. From authority of the father, there developed the patriarchal and later tribal systems of human government. And these gave rise to to monarchical systems and then democracies. From the responsibility of parents to raise children, to educate their children came the formal systems of education, academies, institutes, colleges, and centers of higher learning. From the need to care for uh, the family's health came hospitals. From the obligation of parents to educate their children in the knowledge of God and the ways of worship came synagogues and, and churches like we have here this morning. One cannot think of a contemporary social and cultural organization that does not have a derivative relationship to the home and marriage. Y'all see that how significant that is? That all these things are flowing from this chapter. That all institutions are flowing from the institution of marriage. Now there's no question that the biblical idea of marriage is, is being challenged. But it's not only here in America, uh, but, in the, but in the world in general, not through just Western culture, but also Eastern cultures, because of modernity, right? Because of secularism and the idea of whatever changes is true. It's called, have you ever heard the term progressive? Well, the presupposition of progressive thinking is that whatever changes is true, no matter what it is, and we don't know where we're headed, but that's where we're headed. Now, case in point for that. Uh, 40 years ago, five to four vote, one vote, there's been the slaughter of millions of human beings. It's amazing, isn't it? One vote. And then recently we had the one vote that marriage is no longer a biblical understanding between a man and a woman, which basically strikes at the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, younger people, okay, you high school students. 
Because, because I know, man, things have shifted so fast. And I'm telling you, this is why I'm preaching on Genesis. It has shifted so fast that anybody under the age of 25, including evangelical children who grow up in churches like Redeemer, because we're so, um, there's so much information that says, well, wait a minute. If you, who are you to say that a, that a marriage between people of the same sex is not a legitimate marriage? But, it's, but, but really what's underlying all this is the loss of distinctions between the creator and the creature, between God and man, between man and man, between male and female. Now let me tell you, my, my goal here is, is not to do culture wars. So if you're not a Christian here today, you go, oh boy, here goes that preacher. He's going to start hammering away. Because there is that tendency, isn't there, among Christians? And their theology says, okay, I tell you what, we're going to retreat into our little conclaves uh, and try to do the best we can with their marriages. And I say no to that. I say no. We press on, even though I believe that we are in the Babylonian captivity. I really do. Christian residuals are gone. They're gone. And so what has won the day, and if you don't understand that yet, it's because you're still living in the South and not thinking a whole lot. And that we don't need to do battle with the Babylonians inside Babylon. What we need to do is we need to be wise, and we need to know that God will fulfill His purposes. But no, my intent of this sermon is for us as men and women, as Christians to understand the glory and the magnitude of what does it mean to be a male man and a female man created in the, created in the image of God. Do I believe women can be lawyers? Of course. Do I believe women can be doctors? Of course. Do I believe that husbands uh, can make less money, more, less money than their wives? Of course. So Mary Beth, get to work. But... Let me tell you, in the heart of marriage, and God has given these uh, parameters upon it, is our deep longing to be really connected in it, to be human. I want to ask, how many of y'all lost your humanity in your marriage? How many uh, of you husbands feel like your wife is really flourishing under your leadership and under your love? Uh, how many of you uh, who, who are wise feel like your husband because of your commitment to him is flourishing as a man? That you respect him even when he's not respectable. I'm going to tell you, these things are at the very heart of, of all of us and deeply embedded in us. And so what I want to do is, uh, is I, wa I want us to see what God intends, not just for marriage itself, but what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And so I want us to say uh, several things. And the first is this, that marriage is a blessing from God. It is a blessing from God. I think so. I've experienced it. Secondly, the blessing of marriage is rooted in the order that he has established. I'm telling you, you just cannot jump off a building and enjoy your way down without understanding the consequences. You can go ahead and do that. But there are temporal judgments 
You say, where's God in all this? Where's God in all this? Let me tell you, all you got to do is read the scripture. Often God steps back. And Romans 1 says he just hands us over. And you can go read and see what happens when he hands us over. We become fools. And claiming to be wise, we become fools. Um, and the third thing is that marriage was established to help us understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, you destroy the idea of creating male and female in his image, then you destroy the whole understanding of Christ's love for a bride that no one wants. And he comes for her. I mean, have we become so jaded that we, we can't enjoy our marriages anymore? That we can't just repent, man, I'm not the husband I need to be. I spend my life repenting of not being the husband I need to be. You wise should be repenting that you're not the wise you need to be. And if you're single, you need to start repenting of the fact that you've made marriage an idol when you're already married to Jesus. Because there's no man in here that's going to match that, trust me. So the first thing to see is this, is that marriage is a blessing from God. Notice what it says in verse 18. Look there in your text. Uh, then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So now out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And so what does he do? He starts naming them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. He's about the work of being a vice regent. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the, of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper for him. Now look, we've all heard jokes about marriage, haven't we? I had fun looking up jokes. Uh, most of them were from women about men, so you can relax, ladies. But jokes have been made for a long time. So Socrates said this. Uh, if, but you know, he was a philosopher, right? You remember him? By all means, marry. If you get a good wife, you will become happy. Uh, if you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Or a theologian, maybe. Cindy Garner said, what's the difference between a boyfriend and a husband? About 30 pounds. <laughs> Phyllis Dillard said, you remember Phyllis Dillard, crazy Phyllis? She said, don't go to bed mad, stay up all night and fight. <laughs> and of course, that famous one by Mae West, who said, marriage is a great institution, but I'm not ready for an institution yet. Now, men and women that can't laugh at these things, and of course we've lost the ability to laugh, haven't we? We can't even make distinctions because that's offensive. But the reason we laugh and the reason we make jokes about this stuff is because it's so painful. Because it's not what it ought to be. And so we have to kind of laugh about it, right? Sometimes that's the way we look at the world. All these great comedians, I'm telling you, you go read their biographies, and most of them had a lot of pain growing up, and they had to make jokes about it. But in the beginning, we see here in our text that God intended there to be this deep and profound relationship. 
between a man and a woman. Now understand this, in Genesis 1, we've already seen that. Uh, Genesis 1, the last day of creation, God's been calling everything good, everything's good, everything's good. And then he creates male and females in his image to reign together. And then he says, it is very good. Well, then you come to our text in chapter 2 and you say, well, wait a minute, he said everything's good and everything's very good. But now he comes here and he says, not good. So, so you're going, well, what's going on? Because Genesis, I thought they were made and everything was good. And now he's saying something's not good. But here's what you've got to understand. In Genesis 2, and this is why I believe it's true history, is you have a focusing in on the telling of Genesis 1 in the details about how he created human beings. And what you will notice here is that Adam was not there. I mean, Eve was not there. And we'll say more about this later, but the covenant was made. But it was made with Adam. The work's already beginning. And Adam is naming things. That's what we do. We name things. And by the way, if you don't, look, if you don't, I don't know what you believe about um, man's authority, but even the scientists over here are naming monkeys monkeys. A monkey didn't say, hey, by the way, you got the wrong name for me. I'm a giraffe. And you're going, dude, you're not a giraffe, trust me. You're a monkey. And so there's this, this naming that's taking place. And so he's already at work. But now he says it's not good that a man should be alone. Now let me tell you, this says something amazing about God and it says something amazing about Eve, doesn't it? Let me tell you what it says This amazing about God. is because we don't know, many of us, we, we, we're sinners, we want to have people to ourselves. Right? This is mine, jealousy and envy. But here we have God who's saying, not good. And you're going, but wait a minute. Adam has all the gold he wants. He has, uh, he has all the fruit he wants. He has everything that he wants. And he has God. And so how can it not be good? Well, because God says it's not good. And so here is God basically saying, you know what? I'm not going to be enough for you. Uh, yes, of course. He's my God. He's sufficient. And we make marriage an idol, and we'll talk about that later. But he creates this vacuum in his heart. I mean, he doesn't know what a woman is. All he knows is he's seeing these animals marching two by twos, but he can't talk to them. I mean, my dog doesn't take me for a walk, and my dog didn't name me. My dog's name's Maddie. And I didn't name her, my, my daughter did. But so, so my, you know, my dog doesn't get me food to eat. So, but, so I can't have a relationship. I can kind of have a relationship with my dog, much more so than a, like a rattlesnake. But, but we don't sit down and say, uh, Maddie, tell me what you're thinking about doing today. Yeah, I, I don't know, I'm going to be a dog. And, and so there's no suitable helper that's for him. So there's this thing that God has created. And by the way, I'm just telling you, if you men lose this sense of the glory of a woman, and, and, and nothing will do it more than pornography. The loss of what it means to be a woman in all her glory. 
her essence of being not just uh, to be Isha, that she's part. She's part of the man. She's one with the man. This there. Uh, the sexual relationship is just such, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important part of it because from that we have those who will be created to be God glorifiers. Souls that will never die, which is another reason you shouldn't be having sex before marriage. Because it is a degrading of what it means to be a human being. This there. But so here we have this wonderful God who is willing to, to go, hey, listen, I'm not going to be uh, sufficient for you in this horizontal relationship. So he creates the woman. So that says something amazing about God, doesn't it? But it also says something amazing uh, about the woman. You know, I don't want to be too southern here. I really don't. And I know, listen, when you kind of get into, like, application, then you get into stereotypes. And I really don't want to do that, but can I honestly say that uh, I, I, God has surrounded my life with amazing women. Now, I'm the youngest of six boys. And, uh, and so, so I remember as a kid, and this was in the South, and this was 40, 50 years ago. But I remember when a woman walked into the room. You know what men used to do? They stood up. <laughs> now imagine, I don't have any sisters. And, uh, and I'm hanging out with my aunts or uncles or whatever, and, and then some, a woman walks in and all the men stand up. I can remember as a child, and, and this is where you might go, this is a bad application here, but hey, just being honest. I thought to myself, man, I can't wait to marry one of those. Because nobody stands up for the guys. You're a guy. Uh, but, 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 so, so, but here, but let me just say this. Matthew Henry said uh, this about a woman. And, and uh, he says... That she, where's that quote? I'm read. I always do it when I do wedding ceremonies. Does a wedding ceremony. That a woman, uh, that man is the head of creation, but the woman is the last of creation, and thus the crowning, the crown of the head, and the crowning jewel of all of creation. What, what this incredible, splendid blessing uh, that God has given us uh, in marriage. Uh, that we are fearfully and, and wonderfully made. That marriage is a blessing uh, from God. But secondly, I want us to see this. That the blessing of marriage is rooted in the order that he has established. Now, I really want to hit this in the next couple of weeks. So I'm just going to say something about it and, um, and then reflect on the gospel and then close. So the blessing of marriage is, is rooted in the order that it's established. I mean, seriously, have, have we gotten so far away that, that, um, that 
we don't see the mystery of what does it mean to be a man and a woman. They were created in His image. But this blessing of marriage is rooted in the order that He has established. Now, <clears throat> I want to read a text. Uh, I want to read, read out of the text. But before I do, let me just say, every organization has order, doesn't it? Every institution has order. You cannot have order in a company where there's no president, no vice president. Uh, you tend to go, who's going to be the treasurer? And if you look at a disc test, he's a high C. Let's make him the high, because they love details. Don't make the high I. You know, the guy that loves hanging out and shake hands, he, he could care less about all that. So there's always this order that's there. We have order in society. Everything has order to it. You're, the University of Georgia, there's an order to the process of getting your degree. And then, uh, then, according to how you respond to that order, determines the grades that you make and what your future will be. And yet we live in a culture that's increasingly moving away from the order of things to what we call autonomy. Or that everything is a law in itself. And the end result is you begin to move away from understanding who you are in the context of all the order that's around you. Who's the quarterback? Who's the end? Uh, you know, who's the president? Who's the vice president? And so, so rather than having this thing together upon which I discover my gifts and who I am, we move completely away and you are driven into your head and you have no sense a purpose other than your own purpose, but you'll, dis you'll, you'll discover you do not know who you are. Now where do we see that in our text? Notice what he says in verse 21. So the Lord God, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now next week... I want us to see three things. If you're going to understand the blessing of marriage and the blessing of what it means to be a male and female created in God's image. And you might say, well, I'm not married, so I don't have a role. No, you don't have a role, but you have an essence. You have an essence stamped upon you to fulfill the role that God has given you. And you don't have to be married to fulfill the role of being a man or a woman in the context of other people. Uh, but what we'll see is that there, first is there's order of creation that God created Adam first. I mean, it's very clear in our text. Eve's not coming on the scene. Secondly, uh, the order of instruction. We'll see this next week. That God gives instruction to Adam before Eve is ever made. Does that make him better than her? No, it doesn't, it doesn't at all. And we see that in the third thing that we'll look at next week. And that is there's order in our gender responsibilities. He created us Ish and Isha. He created us equally in His image, but corresponding to one another. 
And I want us to understand that. Well, let me close um, because I'll come back to point two. But point three was, you know, where do we see the gospel in this? Uh, we'll, we'll come back to this next week. But, but let, me, let me tell you what we end up doing okay, with marriage. Because it's so powerful. Uh, we make idols out of it. And so we have these expectations going into marriage. And, and this, this man's going to save me. There, Hal is, Prince Charming. Well, it didn't take my wife long. Well, fortunately, we dated a long time. So she figured, thankfully, I want Prince Charming before we got married. But she's learned that over and over and over again in 37 years of marriage. I mean, I know I look, look, look like Prince Charming, but I just don't act like him. Um, and then I go into the marriage because, you see, I, I've never had sisters. I, I like, wow, this woman's going to save me. Shh. And because there's something deep about that. Let me tell you what marriage is. When you get married, you are that person. I mean, you become one with that person. That person gets you better than anybody. Well, let me tell you all that, as glorious as it is, because of sin, it's all been broken. And forget it that we're, we're naked and not ashamed. We're naked and very ashamed. And we're always running from each other. But herein, as we'll see again next week, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That though we are the bride that nobody wants, if anybody found us out, and when you really start doing premarital counseling, I'm trying to get them to understand, hey, you have no idea what you're getting into. Right? That's the vow. Why do you take vows? Because you have no idea what you're getting into. You know why? Ladies, because men just don't understand women sometimes. And by the way, let me ask you women this. Is it fair enough to say that sometimes y'all don't understand men? Well, what is up with that? And yet, say, so y'all get together and you talk about it, and, and guys get together and fish. <laughs> Maybe I'll catch a big fish. But you see, at our very depths, we want to be connected, don't we? But we know we're ashamed. But here's the gospel. And the reason you cannot do away with a marriage is that it is pointing to Christ's love for the bride who's the girl who sits in the corner in the dark that's ashamed because she's not good enough or pretty enough. And he comes after her. And let me say this to you this morning. Whatever you believe about marriage, whatever you believe about men and women, um, do you have a sense of shame that you're not the man you need to be? You struggle with lust and greed and fear. You're cruel to your wife because you're running scared rather than serving her and loving her. Or here you are, here you're the wife, and you're supposed to encourage your husband. You don't do that. You, 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 you basically destroy him in many ways because you're going, you're not doing that, we don't make enough money, and this is not that. You know what, you've lost your glory and you've stripped him down. And we all do that, don't we? Don't we all do that? But here's the gospel. Jesus will come to you if you're willing to go, man, I'm hopeless. In all our naked shame, he embraces us and he covers us. And thank God for that. If you're a Christian, aren't you thankful that he covers your nakedness? Because if your spouse knew you the way he knew you, they would be triply disappointed. But he loves you and he'll always love you. That's why I preach. I believe that. That's why I get up in the pulpit every Sunday because 
He says, you know what? You're not what you should be, but you believe the gospel. Go preach it. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for the, the, the good news. Man, this is so powerful. I mean, how sad it is that we would strip away uh, and just say that we're simply of the dust and God never breathed into us. We're just here by chance. We lose that glory. Ah, but Father, in our text, we see the picture that you created to show your love for those who would want to be married to Christ today. And I pray that you would convert people this morning. Lord, it's in you alone that we're safe because you're a God of mercy and grace. You're not a God who strips us bare. You've given us the law to point us to our nakedness so that you might point us to Christ who is cursed under the law that we break. Lord, change men and women this morning. Change marriages. Change single people. To not look to marriage as an idol, but to look to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.